This morning's scripture comes from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon, the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. Thank you. Good morning. It didn't really sound like a good morning, but I'll take it. Uh, Tommy is still out of town, so you're welcome. You get me. Just kidding. Just kidding. Thank you. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, He should be back next week, I think. So um, I'm Jason. I uh, run an organization called Current Initiatives. If any of you have heard of Affordable Christmas, anybody, anybody familiar with that, Affordable Christmas? Good. Most of you. Uh, the rest of you, obviously, were not here last Sunday, so you are, we found you out, just from that one question. Uh, if you were last week, you heard me talk about it, but I'll give you a quick synopsis. Affordable Christmas uh, is an event that we do every Christmas where we uh, set up a shopping event for low-income families where they can, excuse me, where they can shop and uh, Uh, Instead of paying $100 for a brand new bicycle, uh, they can pay $10 for a brand new bicycle. And what that does for them is it gives them the opportunity to go home and be the hero to their kids uh, because they have kept their dignity intact. We've empowered them as a family. And uh, they were able to provide Christmas for their kids where otherwise they might not be able to. Most of the families that come and shop are families that they're paying their bills, they're working, uh, but they don't have that much money left over to be able to do something for their kids. <clears throat> you might go, well, at least all their, their bills are paid and all that kind of stuff. Christmas is just, it's not about the, the gifts and all that. Yes, absolutely. But what those gifts represent to them, uh, to these families and for their kids is so much more than just that gift of them being able to buy it. It represents uh, dignity for them. It represents empowerment for them. It represents uh, that, that uh, for us on a deeper level, it represents God's love to them and caring about uh, details so, uh, so simple as them being able to give something to their kids for Christmas. And so we just help facilitate that a little bit. This coming Wednesday, we're doing a, uh, a little summer party to kick off our season going into that for this year at Hidden Springs Aleworks. Anybody been there? Any Hidden Springs? 
Anybody know where it's at? There's like five of you. Good. You should all be there so you can learn about Hidden Springs. Um, It's a great brewery here in Tampa. Uh, They're awesome. What we're doing and what we would love you to do, everyone, you go to Christmas parties, right? You wear your ugly sweaters, you wear your Santa suits, your elf costumes, whatever it is. And I know you've all been itching to wear your elf costumes. It's just been hanging there in your closet, looking for an excuse. Not that you need an excuse to wear an elf costume, because that's just cool. Uh, is this Wednesday, we're, what we want you to do, one, I would love for you to come and hang out with us. Two, wear your elf costume, or whatever it is. If you have an affordable Christmas t-shirt, wear that. Uh, three, feel free to, uh, to bring a, an item. This is kind of a kickoff for us. So bring a friend, bring a, uh, someone that doesn't know anything about affordable Christmas, but bring, uh, bring a toy that you can donate, bring some money that you may want to donate. And Hidden Springs is doing some, uh, some specials, like they're 20% off of what they're doing. We've got some raffles that we're going to be giving away. Uh, so please come party for Christmas with us and help us get ready for this year. Cool. Wow, good response. Okay, awesome. I was just looking for a thumbs up, and I got the cool in return. All right. Uh, before we jump into this, let's say, let's, uh, let's say a quick prayer together. Father, thank you so much for days like today where we can celebrate you. We can focus our hearts and minds on, uh, on you, on your love for us, on your scriptures, and what it says to us and how it influences our lives. Uh, today, as we look into this passage from uh, Mark chapter 2, and a fascinating story Uh, May we gain some wisdom from it. May we gain some inspiration and some hope as we live out a faith to the world around us. And may it be truly influential uh, to our world. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, uh, we live in a world that is very, uh, a a lot of phrases like, let's, you know, changing the world, uh, making America great. Uh, fixing problems in the world, all of these kinds of things. I'm super excited about election season, as I'm sure you are. (laughs) Really excited about all the junk mail I'm going to be throwing away over the next three months. Uh, Really excited to see a lot of debates. Really excited to uh, to get into arguments or hear people's arguments about the person that they love. You know, whatever, all of that. We live in a world that is very, just in general, is very focused on an idea of changing the world. But especially right now, uh, when, we, when we talk about elections, I like to Google image phrases, which is an interesting uh, proposition, by the way. So anybody else ever done that? And you're like, hey, I wonder what Google images come up for that word. Anybody? Yeah, you're all laughing like, yeah, I've done it. Was not smart, um, but I just love to do it because I'm always fascinated about what imagery comes up in relation to certain things, certain things that we say or uh, words or phrases. And so uh, I, I Google image searched the phrase "changing the world" or "change the world" because we talk about that idea a lot, especially when it comes to Christianity. We talk in terms of it's our job or that that as the church we're to change the world. Some interesting images come up. Uh, so this, I'm going to show you a few. This is the first one. Now, it's partly cut off, but here's what I found. Uh, a lot of images about changing the world have to do with a globe floating in space and random hands. 
reaching out from space. I don't know who, whose hands they are. I, I don't know if they're supposed to be God's hands. I don't know if they're uh, giant aliens' hands. I don't know. But we have this kind of image. And then there's another one like this, which just seems to me like they're trying to massage the world. <laughs> or choke it. I don't know. It's hard to tell. But the more you look through these images, it gets crazier. Like, and it, but it's all the same, the same concept. The next one, uh, we'll show you what I'm talking about. It's just, it's just more hands. There's another one that I didn't put up here that I don't have, but it's the same image, but double the amount of hands. <laughs> and I'm not even really sure what's going on with this. Like, the other ones, okay, I kind of get, you know, like, ah, oh, we're holding up the world. This one, I don't know. Are you trying to rotate the world? Is it like a beach ball that everyone's trying to grab onto? I don't know what's going on. But uh, just a lot of, lot of random globes and weird, strange hands reaching out from the abyss. And then this one was just dumb and funny to me. Golden words by a wise man. If you want to change the world, do it when you're a bachelor. After marriage, you can't even change a TV channel. <laughs> All the married people are like, no, yeah. I don't know why that's funny. It's the sadness of my everyday life. But this whole idea of changing the world is an interesting idea. And we kind of own that a little bit. But it, the problem with these image, this imagery, for me, is that we don't live life at a height that this is how we interact with the world. We live life on a six foot level or five foot six, if you're me, maybe, maybe shorter. We don't live life at a hundred thousand mile view of the world. We're not big enough and the world is not small enough for us to reach out through space and be able to hold the world in our hands. But we approach life that way. We approach the world in that way. We approach other people in that way. And almost what this level does to us, what this view of the world does to us is it almost dehumanizes everyone around us because we see things, we try to see things at such a high level that we miss the individual life that's right in front of us. And really what Jesus says to us is that this is not what I asked you to do. What I asked you to do and what I modeled for you was something very basic and simple. It was focusing on a life. Now, prior to Mark chapter 2, the passage that we just read, this is, this is Jesus brand new on the scene. He hasn't really done much up to this point. Prior to this, in Mark chapter 1, we see Jesus in a very interesting Scenario And something that God says to Jesus that I think is very deep for us. It is very telling. It's very uh, something that we need to own for ourselves. There's a quick story in Mark chapter 1 of Jesus being baptized. Jesus gets baptized. He comes to the shore where John the Baptist is teaching, who was his cousin. And he comes to John the Baptist and he's baptizing people. And Jesus says, hey, I, I need you to baptize me. So he does, and what happens in Mark chapter 1, in this scenario, Jesus gets baptized, and this is what it says. When Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens split open and the Holy Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice from heaven 
saying this, you are my beloved son and I am fully pleased with you. Now what God does in that moment is he sets a precedence through Jesus to the world all the way down through centuries to us. Because think about this. Jesus, at this point, has done nothing. The only stories that we have of Jesus up to this point is the birth of Christ and a random story about Jesus when he's about 12 years old. That's it. At this point, when Jesus gets baptized and begins his ministry, he's 30 years old. A lot of years in there that we know nothing about Jesus. At this point, Jesus has done nothing. He's not performed any miracles. He's not done anything uh, world-changing. He's not preached the gospel. He's not done anything. He's done no performance for the world. And yet God looked at him and said, I am fully pleased in you. Now, I'm sure that's not the depth of that theology, the theological significance of this phrase, but understand what that means for you and I. What if you and I viewed the world and understood our place in the world and our place to God as there is no performance that we have to do? There is nothing that we have to do to gain God's love for us. You and I matter because we exist. That's what God said to Jesus in that moment is that you matter. You are important because you exist. Simply by existing, I love you and you have a purpose. What if in this world, especially in the time that we're in right now, what if we all stopped and took the view of the world that every human being, whether we like them or not, they matter to God? And we approached it that way. Because this is what Jesus did in the story. Not only did Jesus do that, but there's four guys in this story that kind of approached it the same way. In Mark chapter 2. Let me kind of paint the picture for you here of what's going on. Jesus has kind of just started his ministry. He just started preaching. He just started doing miracles. People are starting to flock to him. Not necessarily because of what he's saying, but because of what he's doing. Because in that age, in the first century, when Jesus steps on the scene, understand that the world was a very rough, very harsh place. The world was a place that viewed people that had a disability as unimportant and less than. Almost to the point of not even worth being alive. Jesus stepped onto the scene and he said, no, you have value because you exist, and I'm going to heal your brokenness. Your paralysis, I will heal that. The physical disease that you have, I will heal that. And while I'm healing that, I'm saying to you at the same time, you matter, God loves you. We get to this story of this paralyzed man. Lives on the street. Jesus comes back into town. He's staying at this house. He begins preaching, and people are flocking to this home. People can't even get in. I mean, listen to the first part of the story. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. Have you ever been to a house party like that? I'm curious, because if you have, 
and it's been at your house, please invite me because I want to, I want to see this scenario. Like imagine not even being able to get into the house. It's a madhouse. People flocked to this house. You can't even get in. Who has a party like that? I've never seen them. I see them on TV. They look real fun. Also dangerous, but they look exciting. But that's what's going on here. Like people are just jammed into this house. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. Think about that for a moment. How many times have we, because of our own crowd, we've blocked people from being able to actually get to Jesus and hear and understand God's love for them? But listen to what happens. Here's this guy on a mat, paralyzed. His world is a very dire existence. And let me paint the picture for you a little bit. In the words of one of my favorite authors, in a book called Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them, he talks about the story. And listen to what he says. Yeah, it's true. It's an actual book title. And very true, right? Like, everyone's normal. And then you get to know them, and you're like, man, that guy's crazy. Listen to this. One of the great stories in the Bible about community involves a paralyzed man and the friends who brought him to Jesus. Imagine what life was like for this man, what it would mean to be a paralytic in the ancient world. His whole life is lived on a mat three feet wide and six feet long. Someone has to feed him, carry him, clothe him, move him to keep him from being covered with bed sores, clean him when he soils himself. He will never know the sense of independence we prize so fiercely. Nothing can be done medically. No surgeries, no rehab programs, no treatment centers. There is no way to contribute to society. Anyone in this man's condition has to go through life as a beggar. Be laid by the side of the road. Be dependent on people dropping coins beside him to live another day. He dreams. Sometimes in his dreams he has a healthy body. He walks and runs, does good work, is married, maybe, and plays with his children. Then he wakes up and looks at the ceiling of a room he can never walk out of. Looks at the body that holds him prisoner, looks at the mat that comprises his world, and knows he will never be free. He has no money, no job, no influence, no family, and seemingly not much of a future. What's he got going for him? He has friends. He has amazing friends. In one sense, this whole story takes place because of his friends. Without his friends, he never makes it to Jesus, never gets healed, never gets forgiven. You should know that for the man in the story, the development of these friendships did not happen by accident. Because of his physical condition, the deck was stacked against friendship emerging here at all. Even in our day, people who wrestle with physical challenge often say that the most difficult obstacles they face are the attitudes of so-called normal people who are sometimes anxious about how to respond, sometimes are unkind, sometimes look away and avoid meeting eye to eye. This is a fast-paced world, and it is not a very gracious place for those who can't run as fast as others. But the ancient world could be even harsher. The Greeks regularly disposed of newborn infants with physical anomalies. Aristotle himself wrote, Let there be a law that no deformed child shall be raised. 
In Rome, during the 5th century BC, there was actually a statute on the books that said, quickly kill a deformed child. In Israel, this man would have suffered from another stigma. There was a common assumption that if people were suffering physically, they had brought it on themselves. Yet here is a little band of men who refuse to let any obstacle stop them. And this is the key point for us. Their little group clearly did not come about by accident. In the face of formidable obstacles, social stigma, inconvenience, financial pressure, a high cost of time and energy, they choose to become friends. Understand the significance of that. This man lived on this mat. He depended on everything. In that world, they saw this person as almost non-existent. If you think about it in our world today, we do it all the time. We're fast-paced. We walk by people. We walk by people that are beggars on the side of the road as, as if they don't exist so often. In this man's world, it was even worse. Yet here were four guys that for whatever reason, we don't know why. We don't know why their friendship formed. We know nothing about it other than these four guys said, if we can get this guy to that house where Jesus is, maybe Jesus will heal him. So they pick him up. They carry him to this house and they get there and they can't get in. And if you think about it, every group has some different personalities, right? You got the one guy or girl that has the ideas. You got the one guy or girl that's the naysayer that's like constantly thinking about the rules. Like, well, we can't do that. Like, what do, what do we do? Like, if we do that, then we got to have this, then this happens, and then this happens. You know, they're going through, they're playing out all the scenarios of what could go wrong. Then you got the one guy or girl that just kind of goes along with whatever. And then there's always that one crazy one. That no matter what the idea is, they go along with it, but they one-up it, right? Like by a thousand. So I imagine probably what happened in the scenario is they get there, they can't get in, and they're like, what do we do? Like, you know, and the, and the idea guy, he's thinking like, all right, we got some rope. We can find some, what can we do? Maybe we can, maybe we can push people out of the way. We can bust the window out or something like that. And then comes along guy number four with the, you know, I'm going to one-up everything. I got it. We knock a hole through this roof. We bring this place down. You ever notice there's always that guy at the party too, right? That just amps it up. And just like, yeah, yeah, you're right. We should have a drink. We should have 20 of them is what we should do. And it just gets out of hand. Like, it's real nuts, right? Like, that's what I feel like this guy was. He's like, let's just put, let's just put a hole in the roof, guys, and we'll just throw him in there. What? He's already paralyzed. Like, it's not like it's... <laughs> we drop, if we drop him, it don't matter, right? Jesus is going to take care of it when we get down there, whatever. I don't know why I'm the weird one. So... Like, that's, that's what happens. So, play, like, think about the scenario. How many of you own a home? How many of you own a house? Like, not, not very many of you. Huh? Either that or you're all ashamed at the fact that you own a home. I don't, like, oh, I guess I do. I'm in debt a lot. Yeah, thanks. Um, thanks for the reminder. No, imagine if you, like, you own a home. Imagine you're having a party, right? And, the, like, all, 
all the important people are there. Because in that day, all the religious people were there. They were the, they were the high people in society at that point. Everyone's there. You have the celebrity in your home. And he's, you know, he's just laying down mad skills on everybody, telling them, you know, what's up with the life. And like, you're there, like, you feel awesome. Because, man, you got everybody, the whole town's here. People can't even get in. And in the middle of it, somebody knocks a hole in your roof. Like what, I just imagine probably like, what would you do? There'd probably be a lot of cussing at that point to start with. And like, I just imagine a scenario like this is happening and that owner going, what is, what, what is, no. And he can't even get out to do anything about it because no one can get in. He can't even get out of the house. In that day, the way the roofs were, they were used as almost like a second floor to the home, but it was on the outside. And they would use that second floor. They would, wash, they would wash their clothes that way and hang them up up there. There was almost like a, a second gathering place. It was this flat roof, stairs from the outside to get up to it. And it's all dirt and clay and straw. And here's Jesus in the middle of that teaching. And these guys go up on the roof and they just start chipping away at this roof, tearing this roof apart. Now imagine being in the crowd or being there in that room Dust starts dropping on you. Drywall starts hitting you in the face. Some insulation gets, in, gets all over you. Now, clearly this had to take a while. And I'm sure at some point they heard like banging, cracking, whatever, all this stuff coming down. Like, so what do you do as a crowd? Like, I feel like everything just stops, you know? And they're just like, what is going on? Owners freaking out. And I imagine Jesus is probably just waiting, hanging out, because he knows what's coming. You know, he's a superhero. He knows what's up. And he looks up, and here's these four guys looking, looking through this hole in the roof. And then here comes this paralyzed man that they lower down and drop him down in front of Jesus. And look what happens. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Understand, remember at this point, Jesus, no one really knows who Jesus is. They don't, no one has really completely bought in yet that Jesus is the Messiah. All the religious people are still like, whoa, this guy, what is up with this guy? Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, because, you know, could read minds. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or is it easier to say, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? And listen to this. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So I'm going to prove it to you. Then he turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat. And did that. And here's what Jesus said to them. I'll prove to you that I have the authority to say to this man that you matter so much that God has forgiven you. Here's my proof. I will heal his brokenness. That is fascinating. Because think about in our world. What is the greatest proof to the world that we have any authority that this Bible, that, our, that the truth has any authority. I think the greatest proof that we have to say to the world 
is exactly what God said to Jesus on his baptism, exactly what Jesus said to that paralyzed man in that moment. You matter. Not only do you matter, but I'm going to show you that you matter because I am going to live a life that helps heal your brokenness. So we're all broken. We all come to God with brokenness. We all come into this world broken, sin-ridden. We carry a lot of baggage. But God looks at us and says, you matter. None of that baggage matters. None of that sin matters because I have made a way for you to let go of the baggage. I've made a way for you to put the pieces back together and not be so broken. Why? Because I love you. You exist and you matter to me. The problem is most of us never truly own that for ourselves. We never truly own that. And so as a result, we never show that to the world around us. We're too busy. We're too busy trying to prove to the world that we matter. We get distracted. We're too busy trying to show everyone else that we are significant and that we matter. Rather than owning and understanding that because I exist, I matter to God and that is what matters most. And so because I matter to God, then I can show that love to everyone else. So what happened in this, the biggest thing is this, that Jesus always stopped. Read the stories of the gospel. Notice Jesus always stopped. He was walking somewhere. He was going somewhere with a purpose to do something, to speak somewhere, and someone would get in his way. Someone would grab the hem of his garment. Someone would drop a man through a roof down in front of him while he's teaching and doing important things. And what did Jesus do? He always stopped and focused on that one life. In order for us to do that, we have to really change our awareness. Because as that author said, it's a fast-paced world. We're always moving, doing our thing, and we pass by people so often that are broken and hurting that just need to know that they matter to God. And you and I are that conduit. You and I are that proof to them in that moment, but we miss it. Because so often we are too busy with the view of the world that I've got to wrap my hands around the entire world and fix the problem. But Jesus says to us, "Mm -mm, time out, it's not what it is. The world's too big for you anyway, it's not your job. Your job, show the world that it matters, one life at a time person you encounter every single day. How many of you have seen the movie The Martian? Good movie, right? There's a great dialogue in the middle of that movie when they're arguing over rescuing him from Mars. And the head of NASA says, this is bigger than one man, and that's his reason why we can't sacrifice all this. things. bigger than one man. And the flight director, simply, his response is simply, no, it's not. I think a lot of times we walk around in life going, it's bigger than one life. Not necessarily consciously, but that's how we operate. That we have to save the whole world. And Jesus is going, no, no, it's not. It's not bigger than one person. 
It's about that one person. So for you and I, we need to learn to stop and slow down and focus on the life in front of us. There's a lady named Somali Mom who years ago wrote a book called The Road of Lost Innocence. It's about her own story about growing up as a sex slave in Cambodia. She was rescued out of it uh, as an adult has gone back and has made it her life mission to rescue girls from sex trafficking. Years ago, she wrote a book about her story and she talks about being asked one time about what it feels like or what it means to her to change the world. And this is what she said in response. I don't feel like I can change the world. I don't even try. I only want to change this small life that I see standing in front of me, which is suffering. I think in our world, you and I, that right there is the most epic picture of Jesus, of helping the one small life in front of us that is suffering, showing them that they matter, that they are loved, that God cares for their suffering and he has a healing for their suffering. But her perspective is, I stop and I focus on that life. You and I, if we are Christ followers, that is our job, to follow in the steps of Christ, to stop and focus on the life in front of us. So my challenge to you today is this. Stop trying to change the world. Stop trying to fix all the problems because it's not our job. Instead of trying to change the world, start trying to give value and love and healing to the life right in front of you that is on the six foot by three foot mat that's paralyzed with fear, paralyzed with insignificance, paralyzed by their existence in the world and lack of purpose and lack of hope and help give them hope and thereby changing their world. Be like those four guys that took the time to stop and focus on him. Be like Jesus who took the time to stop and heal. That's all we have to do. Every one of us can do that. But first, we have to own it for ourselves. I know a lot of us, a lot of you maybe walked in this room today and you faced a week that in so many different ways told you you were insignificant or that burdened you or that made your existence and your purpose in this world questionable. But I want you to know as God said about Jesus in that moment, you matter. You have a purpose. And not because you've done anything to earn it, not because you've performed anything, not because you read your Bible and went to church and said all the right things. None of, to God, those are secondary. You matter and you are loved regardless of those things. 
So today, own that for yourself. Maybe in owning that for yourself means you taking a step toward Christ and saying, God, yes, I need you. I accept Jesus as the way to you and to that healing. Maybe you've already taken that step, but you've forgotten your purpose and significance. Maybe you've gotten overwhelmed by the world. You've watched the news and you see all the problems in the world and all those things and you're overwhelmed with all of that. Own this for yourself, that you matter and that you can bring hope and healing by showing that to someone else. Not, every, not the entire world, but to the one person or two people that you encounter every day that needs it as well. We take communion here in just a minute. and uh, Communion host, you can go ahead and get in place for that. When we take communion, part of what communion is about is stopping and reflecting and understanding our place before God. So for the next few moments as we take communion, I challenge you to do that. To see your place before God as purposeful, as significant, as loved, forgiven, and accept that and own that for yourself, and then also recognize that for the rest of the world. What if every one of us walked out of this room and lived our life every day showing love and and significance and purpose and healing to everyone we encountered? And not just the people that agree with us politically or business-wise or anything else, because none of those things matter as much as regardless of how I feel about you, regardless of whether I like you, whether I think you're cool, not cool, whether you uh, punched a hole in my roof, you matter to God and thereby you matter to me. And so I want to help bring healing and hope to your life. What would our world look like? I think it would turn everything upside down the way Jesus did. Let's pray. God, thank you for examples like these these four guys that went out of their way to show love and hope and healing and significance to someone who had been told their whole life they were insignificant that they were less than. Thank you for Jesus, the example that Jesus lived for us of showing love and hope to the world unconditionally. And no mistake, no, no mistake, we're human, and I, I know you understand that about us, God. So help us to be somewhat superhuman, to sometimes be able to put our selfishness aside and to slow down and stop and follow the example of Jesus. And just, maybe just for one life that we encounter, give them hope and significance because we showed love to them when they needed it most. But also help us to own it for ourselves so that we can exist and live in that space with you of understanding that we matter and so does everyone else. Thank you for loving us so unconditionally and understanding our frailty and our humanity and helping us rise above that. As we take communion, may we focus in on you 
and recognize that about ourselves. And thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Just take some time and...